In the last chapter of the book of Luke, chapter verse 49, a remarkable thing occurs. Jesus makes a declarative statement and no disciple says, huh? (laughs) That's rather unusual in the Gospels. Usually when Jesus makes a declarative statement, some disciple says, what? Huh? What are you talking about? I and the Father are one. What? No man comes to the Father but by me. Huh? But not here. Not here. Is it possible that finally the Messiah has said something that the apostles expected a Messiah to say? I think so. But what is he talking about? The promise of the Father. We have to remember that the Old Testament closes on a descending note of despair. Despair because the thing that defined them, their Torah, the divine instruction manual for life, only condemned them. Despair because all of their promises had been proven false. Not once, not twice. But hundreds of times, they stood at Mount Sinai in perfect sincerity. Moses said, are you going to keep these instructions? And they said, sure. Why wouldn't we? They're so obvious. They're so clear. They're so helpful. There's nothing bizarre here. If you're going to be in a covenant with God, you've got to jump straight up ten feet and stay there five minutes. No. There's nothing cruel. If you're going to be in a covenant with God, you've got to eat your kids. There's nothing destructive. If you're going to be in a covenant with God, you've got to eat dirt three times a day. No. It was all so clear, so obvious, so helpful. And they said, sure, we'll do that. And Moses said, will you swear it in blood? And they said, sure. May God strike me dead if I ever fail to keep one of these commandments. They didn't know. They didn't know about the rock that resides within us. The rock that says, I will have my way. They didn't know. And one of the things that the covenant was designed to do was to teach that very problem. Because within five weeks, five weeks, they were dancing around a golden idol, praising it for having delivered them from Egypt. Over and over and over again, with the broken covenant crying out to God, if you are just, you must destroy them. But not only a descending note of despair, a rising note of hope. God would simply not let go of them. They understood that somehow his story and their story were intertwined, and he wasn't done telling the story. They understood that he was going somewhere with the human race, 
and he was going to take them with him. Do you remember as a child, your daddy was putting on his coat. He's going somewhere. And you're standing there on one foot and then the other. You're afraid to ask him to go along for fear he'll say no. And all of a sudden he looks down at you and says, well, get your coat on. Yes. Yes. He's going and I'm going with him. And that's what the Hebrews dared to believe. Why? Why? Because in all those years of trying and failing to live God's life, they had seen some people in whom a different spirit was at work. Now, you here all know Hebrew. That's a wonderful thing about seminary. <laughs> Just enough Hebrew to be dangerous. But anyway, <laughs> Ruach. Spirit with a capital S. Spirit with a small s. Wind. Breath. People in whom there is another breath. People whose sails are filled with another wind. Dr. Tennant spoke about some of these on Tuesday. They had seen a Joseph coming out of 13 years of Egyptian abuse with a sweet spirit and a concern for the well-being of his abusers. Is it any wonder that a pagan pharaoh looked around at his courtiers and said, is there anybody like this filled with the spirit of the holy gods in all my kingdom? Well, he didn't know the Lord, but he knew a man in whom something more than the ordinary human spirit was at work. They had seen a Moses, an elderly dropout, turned into a mighty leader. They had seen a Joshua, scared to death at the thought of succeeding Moses. How would you like to be the next pastor in that church? filled with God's spirit and given the courage to lead God's people in the receiving of God's gift of the land. They had seen a David, not firstborn, not secondborn, not even seventhborn, eighthborn. You talk about a nobody, eighthborn is a nobody. <laughs> Evidently a little short guy. Filled with God's spirit to become the shepherd of God's flock. They had seen a Gideon turn from a coward into a man willing to take on 100,000 with 300. They had seen a Micah, an Isaiah, a Jeremiah, able to speak the very words of God because the wind of God was blowing through their lives. How did they describe what they saw? He is filled with the Holy Spirit. The human spirit 
is not capable of these things. There's another dynamic at work in these people. And so as the people saw these select few in whom the Spirit of God was moving and living, a longing began to grow in them. And they began to say, oh God, could you, would you, might you fill all of us with your spirit? And God said, I thought you were never going to ask. Because that had been his plan from the beginning. You see it in Numbers 11 that Dr. Tennant mentioned. They have been 11 months at the foot of Sinai, getting ready. Now the glorious tabernacle built by Bezalel, full of the Holy Spirit, is completed. And they're on their way, on their way to the promised land. And the people are doing what they do best, complaining. We don't have any water to drink, Moses. You brought us out here to kill us, didn't you? Not enough graves in Egypt, uh huh? And Moses says what every pastor will say sooner or later in his or her ministry God, if this is the way it's going to be, just kill me now. God says, Moses, Moses, it's not a problem. Just call your elders out to a leadership retreat. And I will put the spirit that is upon you on them. Ah. Well, he got a great response. I hope you get a, as good a response when you do this. He got 68 out of 70. And the spirit fell on them. But he also fell on the two that were back in the camp. And it says they began to prophesy. We don't know exactly what that might entail. But I can tell you this. If you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, you will scare people. And the people there were scared. And they sent somebody and he got to Joshua. And Joshua got to Moses and said, Moses, you got to stop him. And Moses said, stop him. I wish that God's spirit would be poured out on all his people. Numbers 11. Not Malachi. Numbers 11. Moses got it. God's purpose in revealing this rock of enmity that is within us was in order that he might pour his spirit upon all of us and enable us to live his Torah, to live his life. That's what it means when in Leviticus it says, by those who keep this law, they shall live. Yes, live as humans were intended to live. That's God's purpose. We see it in Isaiah chapter 32. The nation is desolate. The palace is empty until I pour out my spirit. And the wilderness will become a fruitful field. And righteousness 
righteousness will prevail. We see it in the passage that was read for us. The Hebrew people, by their captivity, have made it appear that God is helpless, little, insignificant, unholy. And God says, I'm going to have to do something for you. Not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but because my name is on you. And the nations are going to know that I'm holy when they see it in you. Wow. What am I going to do? I'm going to take you home. I'm going to deliver you from the consequences of your sins. And I'm going to cleanse you from your idolatry, your need to manipulate the world to satisfy your own needs. And I'm going to take a sledgehammer to that stony heart and give you the flexible, pliable heart. Not the heart that says, I will, or I won't, but the heart that says, as you will, as you want. And how's he going to do it? I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit, and I'm going to pour out my spirit on you so that you can live the instructions. Oh, my. And how is it all to happen? Well, you see it again so clearly in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. But that's just the conclusion. It begins back in chapter 11. This king will rule not by force, not by violence, but by the Spirit. So it is no accident, as Dr. Tennant said last Tuesday. It is no accident that Jesus comes to John and says, baptize me. I hope there are instant replays in heaven. I want to see some of these scenes. <laughs> I want to see John's mouth drop open. Because you want me to baptize you? No, man, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, it's all right. We need King James to fulfill all righteousness. Living Oswald, do the right thing. Why was it right? Why was it right that Jesus should express this symbolic surrender to God by going under the water? Because John needed to know and the people needed to know this man was the ultimate filled with the Spirit. And this man would be the one who would do what? No. Die for my sins so I could go to heaven. Now, do you remember? The people came to John and they said, John, are you the Messiah? And he said, shut your mouth. <laughs> Me, the Messiah? I'm not worthy to untie his shoelaces. All I do is baptize with water unto repentance. But he, I'm going to misquote scripture, 
will die for your sins. Now, all I do is baptize with water unto repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Did John not know that Jesus would die for our sins? Well, of course he knew. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But he understood that taking away the sins was not the end. It was the means. Jesus would shed his blood to cleanse the temple of our soul in order that he might give us what he came to give us, the Holy Spirit. That's in all four Gospels. Not too surprising that it's in the synoptics. But John, John written to supplement the others, only repeating what is vitally important. And Jesus in Acts 1.5. John baptized with water unto repentance, but in a few days... You will receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Friends, he has come. The Holy Spirit has come. And he has come to enable us to live the life of God. It's played out so beautifully in Romans 6, 7, and 8. And please, please do something for me. Don't ever separate those three chapters. So much bad theology exists in the world today because people read chapter 6, throw it away, read chapter 7 and say, oh, yes. And then read chapter 8 and say, what's that about? <laughs> no. No. Chapter 6 says to us, now that you're justified, now that you have peace with God, for pity's sake, don't live in sin so that grace may abound. Get out of the sin business. Oh, Paul, I understand. I get saved by grace, and I live God's life by really trying hard. Paul says, are you nuts? That's a living Oswald version again. Uh, <laughs> Where did you get a dumb idea like that? That doesn't work. Let me tell you about my experience as a good Jew. Romans 7 is the experience of a man who loves God, who loves God's Torah, and desperately wants to live it and can't. I am carnal, sold under sin. So, Paul, are we no better than the Jews? Ah, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who, I'm going to misquote scripture again, believe in the merits of Christ while continuing to sin. in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk 
according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You've heard it. You've heard it lots of times. Fifteen times does the Spirit appear in 16 verses in Romans 8. Having appeared only four times in the book previously. Do you think he might be trying to make a point? Yes. How can we live Romans 6? By the power of the Holy Spirit let loose in us. To smash the stony heart. To give us a clean heart. A new spirit blowing through us. That's why Jesus came. Why has he come? To give us power to do miracles? Yes, if that will serve the cause of the gospel. But much more to enable us to live the life of God in this world. I dare to say the most important decision you can make while you're here at Asbury Seminary is to allow the Holy Spirit to have all of you. If you dare to go into the ministry with a divided heart, with what Hosea calls a spirit of prostitution, it will eat you alive. So, what? If you find yourself today with way too much flesh, I'm not talking about stomach, though, like we could talk about that. Pride. Pride. Envy. Jealousy, resentment, self-sufficiency. What do you need to do? Oh, oh, I, I understand, Dr. O, yeah, yeah. I once received Christ, and now I need to receive the Holy Spirit. No. Paul is very, very clear. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Woohoo! You don't have to receive Him. What you have to do is let Him loose. He's in the guest room in your house. Honored guest. Beloved friend. It's time to give Him the deed to the house. To allow him not to be a residue in the bottom of a glass, but to fill the glass to overflowing. What does it mean to give him the deed? It means to give him your ambitions. It means to give him your plans. It means 
to give him your will. It means to give him your rights. The best thing you can ever do here is to get yourself off your hands. I heard this story from this pulpit a long time ago, but it's a good story. The young Scottish minister was taking his first church. In the rush of moving and getting settled, he had left the preparation of his sermon too late. And finally, on Saturday night, he didn't know what else to do but pull down a book of Alfred North Whitehead's sermons. And he committed one more or less to memory, and I'll do better next week. So he stood up and announced his text and his first point. And there was an old man sitting right down here on the front row. He said to himself, that sounds like Whitehead. Well, what are you going to do? So he expanded on that point. Then he said, and my second point is, and the old man said a little louder, that does sound like Whitehead. <laughs> well, got to get through it. He expanded on that point and announced his third point, and the old man said, well, that is Whitehead. And he said, old man, will you shut up? And the old man said, ah, that's himself. dear missionary from India said it, O oh Lord, fill my cup to the brim with sweet water because a cup full of sweet water cannot spill one drop of bitter water no matter how hard it's jostled. The Holy Spirit is come. Is he filling you? Have you given him the deed to your life? Your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your ambitions, your will, your rights. If you haven't, you say, well, I, I don't know all that it means. Mm, I don't either. I just know this. It means good. It means fruitfulness. It means freedom. It means hope. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Friends, you can end your waiting today. <laughs>